This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The ad business today is far from what it once was. The traditional patterns of promoting products have drastically changed in the last decade because of our love for smartphones, tablets, and other digital devices. And because of it, the ad industry and the firms that have created these elaborate campaigns for decades have had to radically change as well. Ken Oletta looks at this dramatic shift in his new book, Frenemies, The Epic Disruption of the Ad Business and Everything Else. You also see, I've seen Ken's work in The New Yorker as a writer of that publication's Annals of Communication profile since 1992. Ken, great to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Uh, you say that the, that the ad industry is in crisis right now, primarily, I guess, in part because of the Googles and the Amazons of the world, correct? No, I, that's part of it. Uh, I mean, the title Frenemies is based on, on, on two larger points. One is that ad, traditional ad agencies, as featured in places like Mad Men, are being disrupted by, by people who used to be their friends, people, their platforms to put ads on, like Google and Facebook. But they're increasingly their competitor. But that's true of, of in-house uh, clients who are taking more and more stuff in-house away from the agencies. But the biggest frenemy, I would argue, is the public, which doesn't want to be interrupted by advertising, particularly on the, de- the dominant device of our age, which is the cell phone. How significant, then, uh, are these issues right now for the ad industry? Oh, they're huge. I mean, it, it's, it, if you think about how the world has moved to smartphones, which is really your most personal device, you don't lend your smartphone uh, the way you wouldn't lend your wallet or you wouldn't lend your purse. Um, and suddenly to be interrupted by an ad that consumes your battery life on your small screen, it's not pleasing to watch. <laughs> we hate pre-rolls. We hate banner ads. Yeah. And, and it, it's just annoying. And so they have to figure out a way. The advertising community is challenged with, with this challenge, which is how do we figure out a way to make an ad feel like it's not interrupting you, like it's not a bother to you? And so what increasingly they say is that we have to we have so much data about you that will present it won't feel like an ad. It'll feel like a service to you. So you're walking along the street, Dan, and we know you bought a sport jacket a month ago right. at, at Barney's. Well, if you if you're only two blocks from Barney's, we, we can we can follow you on your GPS. Right. You're only two blocks from Barney's. Walk into Barney's. We'll give you 20 percent off a new sport jacket. Now, well, how will you feel about that? Will you say, hey, this is a great service, a great discount? Or will you say, this is kind of creepy. How do you know so much about me? <laughs> yeah, and, and it is a significant concern, I, I think, for a lot of people, and, and especially with the banner ads, when you're talking about the, the, the volume of them that, that a lot of people have to deal with and the fact that now you have uh, services out there in a variety of fronts that are promoting you can have one service without the banner ads and, and one with, if you want, depending on, on how you want to go. Absolutely. But, you know, what you're talking about an industry in turmoil. In the industry, one of the reasons I wrote this book or reported this book is because as a person who covers the media, you can see how the music industry was disrupted, how newspapers and magazines and television have been disrupted by the Googles and Facebook and the digital world. Yeah. Well, who funds all of these 
media institutions. Who funds 97% of Facebook's revenue? Advertising. Who funds 90% of Google's? Advertising. Who funds newspapers? Advertising. So if advertising is suddenly being hit by the same kind of disruptions that, that all these other industries hit by, well, then the funding mechanism is threatened, and therefore all of media is threatened. I mean, advertising had to, I mean, they had the use of data, you know, for as long as we've had advertising, uh, you know, in in this world. So how different is it now because of the volume of data, because of the, 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 the need to better understand the data? And I guess to a degree, the quickness of turnaround that some companies are able to do maybe even better than the traditional ad agency. Yeah, but the, but the, the the data today that we have because of the digital world, the digital it takes a fingerprint of, and has a record of everything you've watched on, on every, every search you've done, everything you've read, how much time you spend on Netflix. Um, traditional media doesn't have that. It's not digitized. So if you digitize, if you're Google and Facebook or Amazon increasingly, they have the best data of all. And that data is not matched by what the ad agencies have. So increasingly, the clients say, the people who advertise, who spend the advertising dollars, they say, hey, why shouldn't I go directly to Facebook and Google and increasingly Amazon rather than do th- deal through the agencies? We're talking with Ken Oletta, who is the author of the book Frenemies, The Epic Disruption of the Ad Business and Everything Else. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. How has the industry itself, in terms of the people involved, changed over the years to where we are right now? Well, for instance, you, you started this, this program with, with the music of, of, and mention of Mad Men. In Mad Men days, Mad Men days, Don Draper, who was the creative head of that fictionalized agency, the creative guy like, like Don Draper was in charge. He sat at the head of the table. Today, that no longer is true. The creatives don't sit at the head of the table. The people who sit at the head of the table are the people who have the data, the media agency, the media buyers, the people who buy the ads and and shape your strategy and target the ads on particular people. They're the dominant forces at, at the agency. But increasingly, the agency, as I mentioned earlier, is being disrupted by other forces. Consulting companies, which used to be consult with them or be their, like Deloitte used to be their accountant, is now, are now aggressively getting into the advertising business. PR agencies are saying, hey, wait a second, we can get into advertising ourselves, particularly as newspapers and other PR means, uh, traditional means, falter. And, and increasingly, the platforms, the publishing platforms, of which the New York Times, NBC, CBS, on which you would place your ads, are saying, hey, wait a second, we can become ad agencies too. So the New York Times has a, a sales force of over 300 people. One-third of them are an ad agency, going directly, bypassing the agency and going directly to the client, yeah. the advertiser, and saying, let us create your ads. So that just creates a tremendous amount of turmoil in the advertising world. How, how then, if you play that out, 10 years or 20 years, are you looking at uh, the significant, uh, a significant change in the industry of them not being there a- a- as they have been traditionally over the last 30 years or so? Well, they won't be the way they were. They won't be there the way they were 30 years ago. Whether they will be there in some form, uh, the odds are they will be in some form, but it'll be a very different form. They'll be probably smaller than they are now. 
Uh, they'll probably be, have to get into other businesses. And increasingly, they'll be challenged by, by people who weren't in the ad business 30 years ago, the Facebooks and Googles, and the, and the publishing platforms who, who increasingly say, we can do it. Or increasingly, the clients will say, why are we spending all this money on ad agencies? Let's, do, let's create our own in-house right. ad agency. And that happens, too. So the world is changing. But the bigger, two of the big issues in the future that we can't know the answer to, one is the privacy issue. Will the public at some point say, you have all this data, and you say you want to target it at me? What about my privacy? And will the public raise that privacy issue, as they have, say, in Western Europe, where they've imposed some real changes in, in, in the data that can be collected, or not? We don't know the answer to that. The second question is, will the government say at some point, hey, Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple, they're pretty damn big. And are there monopoly questions? Are there questions of privacy? Are there regulate, regulations that we should impose uh, to, to level the playing field. Well, and I think to a degree, we're almost at that point here in the United States anyway, especially with what we've seen in, in the last few months surrounding Facebook. I mean, the, the talk of bringing regulation seemingly is one that it's growing in importance, not only within the public, but more so with the people that make the, the laws on Capitol Hill. You saw that when Mark Zuckerberg was summoned to yep. before the Congress. And, and even though many of the questions he was asked were semi-literate, the fact of the matter, it expressed the concern for privacy and, and, and monopolization, monopolization power that a company like Facebook potentially has. So that will play out. And by the way, it's a bipartisan issue. I don't see a cleavage between Republicans and Democrats on this issue. There's a, a shared concern. We are talking with Ken Auletta, who is the author of the book Frenemies, The Epic Disruption of the Ad Business and Everything Else. Your comments again welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine with all of this going on right now that many ad agencies have, have already started to make a variety of changes in, in how they they run their operations, correct? Oh, there's no question they have. I mean, listen, it's it's an insecure industry. It, yeah. it's, any industry is when they're going through tumultuous change, and and so sure they they have to, and they have. One of the things they've done over the is they they've created these five giant holding companies, and they're no longer just dominated by ad agencies. They now have. You know, public relations firms they buy, and lobbying firms they buy, and polling firms and design firms. So increasingly they're saying, hey, we have to not just rely on advertising, we have to get into the marketing business. So that, is, that has been a change that's taken place over the last 10 years, and it's a profound change. But beyond that, they're going to have to, they're increasingly asking, are we too big? Can we move fast enough? Do we have to get smaller? Do we have to slim down? And those are questions that will, will haunt them for many, many years. The other question, which they tend not to want to talk about, which they should, is the pay scales in the advertising business yeah. are among the lowest of any major industry. And so if you're uh, someone at, at college and you're, you're about to graduate, you'd much rather go to work for LinkedIn or Facebook or Google than you would for an ad agency where your salaries are basically half of what they'd be. At a digital company. How much has that historically changed in the last several years because of this digital shift? Well, you think about, go back to Mad Men again, Don Draper. Yeah. The, the glamour of the ad business 
and the so-called three martini lunch. Yeah. The fact that, you know, graduates, they sort of a glamorous business. And you had David Ogilvie and you had these, these, these prominent names in the ad business. It was, a, it was really a romantic industry. That exi- doesn't exist the way it once did. And in part, it doesn't exist because the pay scales are so porous. How, I mean, we're obviously in a time where how people consume the content is is changing, has been changing for the last few years. How is that impacting this whole process as well, considering you have a lot more subscription uh, services out there than, than we had, you know, even five years ago? It, it does. But, you know, one of the, I, I address this in, in, in my book, Frenemies, that one of the issues, there are people who believe that this, the way you substitute for ads that may decline is you go to subscription model. But but think about that. The one thing that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton agreed on in the 2016 presidential campaign is that the working class, the, the middle class, the bulk of the American population, hadn't had an income rise in a decade. And the thought that they, who, who their average subscription cost today for the American home is $280 a month, and that doesn't include gas and electricity, yeah. the thought that they could substitute for advertising is crazy. It's not going to happen. It's a false god. So, so advertising is essential to keep alive, you know, so many industries. How does then then do these do these new approaches change when you're talking about reaching that next generation? Because obviously millennials are driving a lot right now, but Gen Z is is right on the uh, on the cusp of, of making a significant and, and contribution think about as well. And watching television on their cell phone. And, and, and you're going to interrupt them with a 30-second with a ad on, the, on their cell phone while they're watching it? No way. No way. And so it becomes a real challenge. What is the new form that advertising takes that will entice Generation Z and millennials to, to pay attention to it? Um, I mean, just think about this. 20% of Americans have an ad blocker on their cell phone. One-third yeah. of, of Western Europeans do. That means ads can't get through. And think about this. When you record a program on your PVR, on your television set, according to Nielsen, 55% of the people who do skip the ads when they watch that program. Sure, yeah. So people don't like ads. Yeah. And, and so what replaces the traditional ad that they don't like? That's a fundamental question. We don't know the answer to that. But what, among the answers people talk about, they say, well, well let's go to six-second ads. And, and, and if you had a two-minute ad block and you had six-second ads, that means 20 ads in six seconds, how would you like to be the 10th six-second ad in yeah. that two-minute block? Yeah. <laughs> Not very appealing. Well, but we have seen, though, and when you think of, of the traditional media outlets, uh, we have seen them going to – you know, almost a picture-in-picture advertising model, you know, so that people can still see, and they see this more in sporting events, you can still see the content while the ad is up there. So I guess they perceive that to be as less of an intrusion as the other types of advertising modes. Absolutely. There's no, what the ad agent, ad world has to do, and they're doing it, is throw stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. Try a lot of different things. We don't yet know what the replacement is, what the future holds. But we know you've got to try things. And we also know that advertising is essential to support the kind of media, and not just media. Yeah. I mean, think about it. How do you have a free enterprise system? How, do, how does the buyer learn what the seller is selling, except through advertising? 
I mean, it's a fundamental process, as annoying as it often is. Do you think that, that and if you go back, probably 10 or 20 years, the value of advertising was, you know, was significant because we didn't have all of these technology points that we do today. So is the idea of advertising, I mean, it is obviously a very important component to to being able to do a lot of this work, but is the value of it the same uh, that it was 10 to 20 years ago? Clearly it's not. If you just think about Uber or Airbnb, they didn't do ads, to, and look how powerful and, and prominent they are today. And and so a lot of companies in the digital world with, with the social networks and, and, and the Internet, they, they have other ways of, of getting known than a 30, an expensive 30-second ad. I'll never forget when I, I did a book on Google some years ago, and I described Mel Carmazon, who was then head of CBS, visiting the Google guys. And he said, this is so great. You know, you, you should buy an ad, a Super Bowl ad. And at that time, a Super Bowl ad was, was $2 million for 30-second spot. Now it's, you know, it's a lot more than double that. And, and they said, why would we do that? You know, you, you do a Super Bowl ad, but they may be a great ad, but you don't know who watched it. Yeah. You, don't know, you don't know whether they bought your product because they watched it. Well, and realistically, if you do see some of these entities now that have grown out without advertising, the only time that they would even consider it is when something goes bad. And Uber has done that over the last few exactly months right. with, with their new CEO because he's trying to be out, get out there and, and talk about how different of a company they will be under his leadership. That's absolutely right. But, but essentially, before that, Uber decided we don't need to spend – millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad when we when we could reach people, uh, create word of mouth through social networks. So th- then let's take this from that perspective. How do you think then this will impact something like the National Football League? I mean, it, it is changing the way I would think that they are even looking at how they are presenting their product these days. Well, there's no question. They're also worried that, that the audience may, you know, seems to have slimmed down a bit. And it's not growing rapidly as it once did. And they know, they know that people could, could watch games on, you know, they sell it to, either, last year was Twitter, and this year I think it's, it, it's one of the other digital giants they've sold some rights to, yeah. to games. So they have to say at some point, are we going to continue to be able to get these TV dollars? And the TV people are increasingly saying, we can't afford it. Look at ESPN. The argument is yeah. that ESPN, which has been golden for many years, has overpaid for sports rights. Yep. So the pressure on, on traditional networks or cable networks is to spend less. So, and the NFL is aware of that. So they have to figure out what, what the hell do we do? And, and ESPN also dealing with the fact that they continue to cut personnel that have, that have been the ones to, to give them a lot of this content over the last five years. The numbers of people that they have working there are significantly lower. It, they are, and in part because their, their profit margins are down. So they're saying, yeah. well, in order to get them up, we have to reduce our yeah. So the idea of frenemies, which you know, you, is the title of the book, goes to the fact that, that you know, this, is, this is a relationship between the ad agency and all these other entities that you know, at times can be friendly, but also you're, they are rivals as well. Will that, that relationship continue to, to get closer? And I say that from the old line of you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, or will there be an even bigger divide moving forward? 
I think the, the odds are there'll be a bigger divide, and and because people worry about themselves, and and so if you're if you're a publishing platform, let's say you're the New York Times or the NBC, and you see your ratings, your audience shrinking, right, and your ad revenue shrinking, you right. say, what what other source of revenue can we generate here? And one of the sources of revenue would be to become an ad agency, which they both become, and and to sell ads. So yeah. everyone in the media world, and, and not just the media world, but in the world of industry, is constantly saying, what other new source of revenue can we generate? Who are the, who, what are the threats we have to worry about? And what do we do to counter those threats? Everyone is doing that. And as they do that increasingly, it, it's very hard to imagine how people get, who, who have traditionally been partners or friends, uh, get closer. If, if some of those entities, like the newspapers, had taken that approach 10 to 20 years earlier, how do you think it would have impacted them, well, then, but also where would they be sitting now? Well, I think 20 years ago they wouldn't have done that because they were so heavily reliant on, on advertising and on ad agencies. Yeah. And they didn't see the threat, the digital threat coming. What they should have done 20 years ago is seen the digital threat coming and created digital newspapers. Yeah. Uh, and when they did create digital newspapers, what did they do? They said, all right, we're going to create a newspaper, but by the way, you can't see, we can't post news on it until the next morning after it appears in the newspaper. Right, right. Well, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, it's unfortunately, it again, it, it shows uh, where the newspaper industry is right now and potentially where it's headed because of the fact that if you don't have your news sources out, you know, in in 30 seconds, you're behind the times right now. And, and what they did initially, think about the other mistake they made, they, they gave their information away for free. They didn't charge. Right. But now as they charge, increasingly local newspapers are finding that people won't won't pay a subscription. For that local move. They won't pay for a digital local newspaper. So traditional newspapers in smaller cities are havoc is being wrecked on them and, and, and yeah. it's a real issue. Now papers like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, you know, with, with deep pocketed Washington Post with deep pocketed owners, they can survive that onslaught, but it's very hard for papers like the Detroit News, St. Louis Post Dispatch, New Orleans Picayune Times to equally survive. Ken, great to talk with you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a fantastic book and greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Ken Oletta, the book again is Frenemies, the epic disruption of the ad business and everything else. Uh, The book is available out in bookstores and uh, online for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 